here right, Chicago! Woo! Three titles in six years. Yes, it is worth cheering for. Welcome into Musings on Madison here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dave Melton. For the first time coming to you with a recap of Stanley Cup playoffs action for this podcast. And unfortunately, we're talking about a series loss for the Blackhawks, although I don't think anyone's too surprised by it, I guess. I mean, kind of seemed like with the Hawks being the number eight seed in the playoffs and the number 12 seed overall in the entire return to play format in the West, the odds were stacked pretty high against them. So uh, losing to five games against Vegas isn't quite the stunner that, say, getting swept by the National Predators in 2017 was. So we've got that going for us. And with me tonight to discuss that series and maybe a little bit more, but probably just that, my two usual line mates. First up, it is the analytics styling of Second City Hockey, Shepard Price. Hi, you can't buy out Olimata. You well, can't. you say that. You can't. You can't. Oh, you, oh, you can. You, you absolutely can. can. Absolutely cannot. You cannot. Well, not, this, oh. not this. Not this. Not this Maybe next off season. Well, this, not, this, not this off season. I see where this conversation. Part of our conversation will go eventually. Before we get to that, I want to introduce the other line mate tonight. And well, if there was three minutes left in a game, in an elimination game, and he was behind the bench, he's not going to put John Quinville out there. It's Brandon <laughs> Kane. I'm more effective than John Quinville. <laughs> Brandon, I also think you'd challenge the goal. So, I mean, that, w- that was a good challenge. I give him credit for that. As soon as I saw the goal happen, I kind of turned away and just thought, all right, that's it for this season. And then got that little sliver of hope that you get, even though you know your team's probably overmatched. But still, like, making that game 4-3 to three is like, all right, they tie it up here, they get the momentum, we get in overtime, we get the other one, it's a series again. And then what happened? Vegas held on to it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Vegas got Vegas decided it was their puck and they were going home. Yeah. So yeah, we're coming to you on the end of the the night after the Blackhawks 2019-2020 season ended, and what a season it was! Seventy regular season games, four months off because of a pandemic, admitted to a return to play format that they may not necessarily have earned the right to play in, and then they went and knocked off a five seed. And then they all kind of look like the team we thought they would look like against the Vegas Golden Knights. And now their season's all done. So we're here to recap this. And I guess uh, we can really start anywhere because there's plenty to get to regarding everything from this series. But I guess just your initial reactions, Shepard, we'll start with you like we usually do. Just what's your initial reactions and thoughts on the five-game series defeat the Blackhawks suffered at the hands of the Golden Knights? Uh, first, I would like to remind people I had Vegas in five on the last podcast. We're really uh, going out on a limb there, Shepard. Yeah, I said it was. I said it would surprise me to see anything else. Uh, it, it did surprise me to see any, if, if we would have seen anything else. Uh, Corey Crawford uh, is still, when he's at his best, the best playoff goaltender in the league, um, and that's that's saying that's still that's with Carter Hart pulling off back-to-back shutouts against the Montreal Canadiens. Um, like, he, he kept the Blackhawks as much in it as he possibly could because the Vegas Golden Knights just kept overwhelming, overwhelming them uh, at 5-on-5. Five five. The PK remains good. Uh, friendly reminder that, it, that Mark Crawford will probably be the inter, interim coach whenever Jeremy Colleton is let go this, this next season. I like how you're already calling that shot. It's, it's going to happen. 
Uh, they're gonna start like they're gonna start like ten and ten, and that'll be the Quenville situation. Did anything surprise you about this series, Shepard? Schmidt and McNabb playing as bad as they did. Well, they we don't care them. about them. What yeah. about from a Blackhawks perspective? Uh, Ole Mata continuing to be excellent on the defensive end. I don't know why you argue with him being the better, the best defenseman in this postseason for them. Like the coaching, the coaching decisions. Boquist not being great defensively, but also again continuing to zero score zero points. Uh, if he's 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 still learning defensively, but he has to score points. And the lack of production from the power play. For me, by the, far the biggest concern with Adam Boquist, and I was talking about this with some people on Twitter the other night. Like everybody knew his defensive shortcomings were going to be a thing. Like it's going to take a while for him to learn how to play defense at the NHL level. And he may never be necessarily great at that. However, he has offensive talent in spades and he should be, you should at least see something out of him. And I can't really think of one really good offensive play. I remember him making against Vegas or even back against Edmonton. He was a complete non-factor offensively in all nine playoff games that the Blackhawks had this year. And that's a massive concern. I know he's just a rookie. He just turned 20. He's got time. But you would have liked to see more from the guy that you picked in the top 10 of a draft a year or two ago. Right. And rookie and and age are not excuses when Kirby docked it as well as he did. Right. Exactly. Like, I'm not saying he needed to turn into the second coming of Bobby Orr, but at least, like, give little glimpses of what you can be. We saw plenty of glimpses of, from Kirby Doc. We saw um, more than glimpses from Dominic Kubelik. You saw some other guys step up from time to time, but Boquist never really – the only time you noticed Boquist was when he was getting burned for a goal. And, like I said, I, I'm not going to give up on the guy, but it just it, – it did raise an eyebrow a little bit. That is a little bit more concerning than I would have wanted it to be on the other end of this playoff picture. Brandon Kane, what about you? What are some of your thoughts on this playoff series? Three of their four losses were by one goal. But, my God, were those some ugly-ass games because they got absolutely destroyed in them. And that game four that they actually won, they had no business in winning that game. That was all on Crawford's 48-safe performance, which everyone expected – a five-game series, maybe six, but you pictured Crawford somehow stealing a game, and then you would expect maybe the veteran guys to go off in one game for six, but a five-game series is kind of what everyone expected. I think it was in game two that went to overtime, where Dylan Strom hit the crossbar. If that goes in, then the series is tied, and who knows what goes on. As far as like a takeaway aspects. Boquist had his issues, um, but also he probably shouldn't have been in the situations that he was put in and really doesn't look good that the last game of the season, Nylander was a healthy scratch when that's a player that the organization is trying to invest in as a top nine player, potentially top six, I guess, from their view. And I think that kind of makes it even when you look at the good returns that you get from guys like Kubelik and Doc. So it just kind of makes it kind of 50-50 on that. I kind of – I think we can stay there with, like, the Nylander talk, and I, I think we can make this all under the umbrella of coaching decisions by Jeremy Colleton because I think that's 
one of my biggest gripes with how this series unfolded, like obviously, again, the Blackhawks were significantly the underdog in this series, so it's not a total surprise to see them lose in five games. However, you like to see your coach the, – the number one thing, one thing you want to see out of your coach is that he puts his players in the best position to at least have a chance to win. And I'm not sure if we saw that out of – I don't think Jeremy Colleton did that necessarily in this series. I mean, he did help Boquist as much as possible by giving him the best zone start percentage out of any Blackhawks defenseman. I'm looking at the numbers right now, a natural stat trick. The only guy that was higher than him was Lucas Carlson, who only played one game. So in terms of like like an on-ice deployment thing, I think it helped Boquist out. The, the, the thing that I don't understand is how you tell me, like they – obviously you say Adam Boquist did not play well enough in game one he was scratched in game two. I think it was game two he was scratched, right? Not miscounting there? Yeah, it's game two. Yeah, okay. it was the fourth. It was the fourth through game. But then it took you four games to decide that Alex Nylander wasn't doing anything for you. And that that's where I have a question. Like, I don't understand – why you were so quick to throw Boquist into the press box when Nylander was doing nothing the entire Edmonton series and then again in the Vegas series and was still like not only skating every game but playing on the second power play unit and if you can't produce on the power play then what the hell you're supposed to be an offensive talent if you're not going to produce on the power play why are you even on this team and then to take Alex Nylander out of the lineup and put John Quinville into it and use him on the top line and skate him with three minutes left, and your team's ass is facing elimination, and that's the guy you put on the ice. I have zero explanation for that and zero understanding of that. I don't give a shit how big they think he is, how much physicality they think he brings. You need someone that can put a puck in the net, and he literally has not done that in a game since he's been in Chicago. I have no idea why he was out there. So can either one of you guys make sense of any of those moves for me? Uh, I trashed. Quinville after the Edmonton decision. I'm not defending John Quinville. <laughs> well, it's it's more – it's not Quinville's fault. I mean, it's, it's – uh, I'm sure he's doing everything he can. It's just that why are they putting him in that position? He just – he's not that player. And to put him on the top line with – you broke up the Taveside Kubalik line that was so good for you in the Edmonton series. And I understand that – oh, I – let me think. They let me rephrase this. They reunited the Taves, Taves, Sad, Kubalik line for all of twenty seconds, and it scored a goal. So, you tell me what what the mystery is there. Yeah, I uh, think for me it was you have Dylan Sakura and Brandon Hagel who are clearly goal scorers in the AHL. Exactly. That has not. I mean, Hagel only had one game, and. Sakura's had his issues of that translating to the NHL, but at least you know he can do it. Like, there's the potential there. So that should have been in the lineup. And for the coaching staff to only have Sakura take warm-ups in Quinville and just not even have Hagel even take warm-ups just baffled me because he's – a similar playing style in some regard to Kajula. So that was baffling to me because it just, it, it doesn't make sense. And if I'm those two guys, I am scratching my head as to why. Probably less so for Hagel, but 
Sakura, I'm probably like, what the fuck, man? Yeah, what do I have to do to get in the lineup? I can yeah, forgive... Like, I can't Sakura a spot here. Jeez. Like, what's going you, on? You, are, you already used that joke on Twitter. Don't do yeah, it. Yeah, you did, you did. Don't do it again. <laughs> no, like, I can, I can tolerate... Like, the more I thought about I can at least tolerate the Bokus scratching. Because you bring in Lucas Carlson, who's got a you know, similar... He, he's similar mobility. Bokus is probably a better skater, but it, I don't think it necessarily kills the lineup by bringing in Lucas Carlson because there's not a significant drop-off from Bokus to Carlson. I think they're actually probably pretty close to even at this point because, as we discussed earlier, Bokus isn't doing a ton on the offensive side of the ice. But if you're going to take Nylander out of the lineup, like, you can't – first off, you, you left Nylander in too long. And you scratch Boquist after one game of the Vegas series. You left Nylander in for four games. And then when you take Nylander out of the lineup, you bring in a worse player. So it's, it's, like, a, it's like a double mistake of you waited too long to fix this problem, and then you fixed it with the wrong tool. So that, that's a very concerning thing for me because we talk a lot about the young players on the team. Jeremy Colleton's a very young coach, so he's probably learning on the fly too. I'm sure Mark Crawford's heavily involved in these situations and in these discussions, and, but the decision ultimately, I assume, rests with Colleton, and there's not a very good track record so far out of the games that we have. It is an admittedly small sample size, but he's not going to get a bigger sample size if he makes shitty decisions like this in the future. I don't know if I even want to stay on that topic too much longer. It's just there's there's a lot of questions I have about Jeremy Colleton now as a coach and his ability to make adjustments within a game and within a series, and none of them were answered in a good way in the last five games. So I guess that's something to watch. Um, but we don't want to get – well, I shouldn't say too negative because, the, I mean, they lost four out of five games. We kind of knew it was coming. But let's let's for a moment at least – try and dive into some positives. So Brandon Shepard, either one of you guys want to take this, who are some of the players that impressed you out of the five game series that we just saw? I mean, the default is Crawford. It's always going to be Crawford in the playoffs. Um, well, yeah, I don't know what else he has to do. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I think Patrick Kane came back alive after the Edmonton series. The Brink cat like in three and five was fantastic. I think it was three, but three and five. Finally showed up. It is kind of a difficult question because, again, yeah. four out of five games, they got housed in pos- possession just about every night. So probably not a ton of standouts. Highmore, maybe. But that's more mainly from the Edmonton series. I guess one positive I can point to from this whole series that I noticed was, you know, three years ago, they got swept by the Nashville Predators. And I don't remember – any game in that series even being close. Like, the Hawks got their asses kicked as bad as I have seen any team get their asses kicked in a series. That was four of the most frustrating games I've ever seen because the Hawks never even seemed to threaten a chance to be in it or possibly win it. I didn't get that feeling this time around, and the Hawks were the eight seed this time, not the one seed like they were in 2017. So I guess the overall thought is, it's not a like massive Mariana's trench style gap between Chicago and a team like Vegas. It's not right. a small gap either though. I mean, they, they definitely, I think this series specifically is a, is a really good way to show you. This tells you what the Blackhawks need. They probably need some more. They definitely need more team speed. 
they probably need one more guy that can skate in the top six or at least in the top nine of their forwards. Because it seems like with the Nylander and Quinville rotating, whatever, th- there's a spot there to be won by somebody that can solidify the top three lines. The fourth line with uh, Conf- Carpenter and Highmore, like that seems like a decent fourth line they can count on in the future. The blue line needs more speed as well. Um, and yeah. there, there's a lot of question marks there about who's going to be back next season, who's going to get bought out, who's going to get traded. So, And then I guess the other big question that we'll have plenty of time to talk about in the upcoming days, weeks, and months is who the hell plays goalie for this team next season? Because as it stands right now, they don't have an NHL goalie under contract next season. So, so that's fun. Brandon Kane, what about you? Any major positives or big surprises that you noticed in this five-game series? Pleasant surprises, I should say. Pleasant surprises, the key here. I would say the compete level and the fuck it mindset that I saw from Keith Kane and Debrinkit. It seems in three and five, like Shepard had said, Debrinkit was just like, well, fuck, I need to score. And he just didn't stop shooting. And it wasn't like they were bad shots either. So that was good to see. And then I think it was in two or three where Keith just turned it on in like periods two and three. And you could just see that his defensive game, he was just like, well, I'm just going to focus on this because I can't do anything else right now. And that worked out for him. And Kane definitely in game five stepped up his game. Um, and he had a little fun with Leonard, too, scoring that goal five hole and, like, pointing back at him like, ah, gotcha, bastard. I feel like he's done that in practice before, that exact – Oh, yeah. That's that's happened a lot <laughs> from, from what I had seen. Uh, so those were some things that I took away as positives. And then, like, the postseason as a whole, it was nice to see, like, Highmore, like, get his due. Because it seems like there's always, like, that one player in the postseason where – they're not like the star player, but they just like come out of nowhere and you're like, oh, like good for them. And and that was Highmore. And he talked to us. So it's just like the running thing of like the players talk to us. It's just going to work out where something good's going to happen to them. Yeah, you hear that, Boquist? <laughs> no, he did. Like he talked to me in October and then he got called up. And the same thing with oh. Carlson. So it's the guys that are in Rockford have to talk to you, and then they have good crew. So make sure you interview Philip, uh, interview Philip yeah. Kershev several yes, times please. in the fall. Yes, please. Several times. Whenever we'll hockey comes back. <laughs> yeah, whenever you get a chance, I don't know when that's going to happen again. Uh, yeah, I don't know either. But, yeah, I would say those were, those were the bright spots. Yeah. The, the low spot was Jeremy Carlton not wearing his glasses, obviously. No. Yeah. <laughs> Dave doesn't have a care to give about the glasses. It's a fuck, Shepard. I am out of fucks to give related to Jeremy Carlton's glasses. That's that that's Brandon's thing entirely. Just know that if you're listening to this, if you ever see a Second City Hockey account on Twitter, tweet about Jeremy Carlton's glasses. That is Brandon's handiwork. Yeah, because I'm not doing it either. But going He's back, got big Ross Geller vibes. That's that's a really fucking bad complaint. Man, I think that's the worst thing I've ever heard about Gary McCallum. But anyway, back to actual hockey things. I, the thing you said, Brandon, about Alex Debrinkit, and he did score in the last game of the series. I am more and no, more. Of course, confident. it was an empty net goal too. 
We yeah okay yeah well he scored against well the the goal he scored was pretty much an empty netter too because he just had to tap it in although it was kind of like in like maybe like six inches off the ground so it took some skill I mean it was a beautiful passing play started by a uh, Connor Murphy channeling Brian Campbell for a second with a nifty little spin move out of the blue line which. I thought for a second he was going to turn it over and there was going to be a two-on-one the other way. But it looks really cool when it works. But the whole point of that was – I thought he was going to hurt himself. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the hell that was because I've never seen that something it like was, that from Connor Murphy. It was great. But I'm fairly confident that Alex Dabrinkit will score more than 18 goals next season because I think the way that he – like, Shepard, you were talking about, the way he really cemented himself in game three and getting game five, I'm not concerned that that slump is going to last for a long time for him because he still was – significantly involved in the game, even when he wasn't scoring. I think we mentioned this in the Edmonton series. He didn't score a goal there, but at one of the games, he had two awesome passes that set up goals, two primary assists. So Dabrinkit, I'm not so worried about. I, I was getting worried about him after the way the Edmonton series gone, but the way that he kind of emerged and was such a big, such a noticeable player in games three and five, I think he's going to be okay. Uh, really encouraged by Dominic Kubalik in general, just, being the third leading point producer for the Blackhawks in this postseason and the second leading goal scorer behind Taves. Very much excited to see what he looks like in the future and hope to God the Blackhawks can find a way to bring him back because the only downside is every goal he scored, it seemed like added some more dollars to his contract, whatever he's going to get after the season. The only amount of thing, like, I thought he played well, but we'll – We'll talk about that bio stuff later. I mean, I'm sure we're going to have plenty of time to talk about what future rosters are going to look like. Another very encouraging thing for me, I feel like we take for granted that Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves are just going to produce. They are both 31 years old now, so they're not the 23, 24-year-olds that they used to be when they were winning their cups earlier in the last decade. But the fact that each of them was a point-per-game player in this postseason, which and they were the top two leading scorers on the team, that tells me that they still have it. So as long as those two are still producing, this team still, like, I, I, that gives me the hope that they have a fighting chance to put this all together and maybe get and squeeze one more cup run out of this bunch or at least a deep playoff run. Um, Kirby Doc's going to be something. I'm, I think I'm more and more confident that he's going to be a legitimate top six guy, if not a, number, a clear-cut number one center in the next two to three years. Brandon Saad's still good. Connor Murphy's a legit top pairing, or at least top four, if not top pairing defenseman. Very encouraged by his play. I still have a lot of question marks about Calvin DeHaan, though. Yes, yeah, yes. He just, he looks too slow for me. He just doesn't, and maybe, maybe that's coming off, like, all the injuries that he had, and maybe, maybe another four months off before the start of the next season will help him out, but. I have some question marks there. Yeah. I would like to see what he, what Connor Murphy can do with Ian Mitchell next season. Yeah. There's going to be plenty of interesting discussions about what the Blackhawks defense core is going to look like for next season, because there, there's a lot going on there. I think the award for like Jekyll and Hyde in terms of looking really, really great at times. And then also looking not so great at times goes to Duncan Keith. Yeah. I know he was, you know, part of this, again, goes back to some of the gaffes that Boquist had, but Duncan Keith was on ice for 10 goals against in the Vegas series at 5-on-5 five five play. The next nearest player is uh, Patrick Kane at 6. So, Keith, 
I, said, I don't know how many of those you can directly attribute to him, but it just it seemed like it was uh, hot or cold with Keith. It was either he was Norris Trophy Keith or 2005 before anybody knew who he was, Duncan Keith. So, and I have no idea what you're going to get out of him next season because he's going to be 38 years old if he's not already. He, he's he's by far the oldest guy on the team. I think that's about it. And Corey Crawford's still the greatest. I mean. I don't know what else to say about Corey Crawford at this point. He's the best goalie the Hawks have had in 30 years. His number should be retired the day he – no one should wear number 50 again in Chicago. If he gets another deep run with the Hawks or with somebody else, you can probably start talking about Hall of Fame candidacy if you're not doing it already. He was amazing. Like That, that game four was it's, – it's disappointing to me that it takes him – playing at such a Herculean effort to get the credit that he deserves because he's been as important to the last decade of the Blackhawks' success as any other number in that locker room. I couldn't sit here and just tell you all the great things about Corey Crawford for the next half an hour, but we're not going to do that. Just know Corey Crawford's the best, period. I think to add some context to the Crawford thing is he recovered from the coronavirus, then had... I forgot to mention, and he came back from the Rona. I don't think we discussed that. <laughs> <laughs> he beat the... Not only did he beat the Knights in game four, he beat the Rona in the summer. And he had one day in training camp and then just went to the bubble with the team. So there were definitely some goals that he should have saved, and they were soft goals. Absolutely. He, he had his gaps, you, but... Yeah, when you look at it, like... His mobility side to side wasn't the greatest compared to what it it normally is. And like his ability to use his blocker side was clearly the weak spot in his game. But I mean, from what he had to overcome in the summer to get to that level of play right away is pretty amazing. Yeah, it's almost like he's a uh, borderline Hall of Fame candidate goalie, even at the age of 36 now. 35, excuse me, 35. Going to be very interesting to see what happens with him in the offseason because, as we were talking about before he came on the air, one of the most terrifying teams in the Western Conference right now is the Colorado Avalanche, who, as I mentioned tonight because I was watching some of that game against Arizona, I don't know how the fuck the Hawks are going to beat them in the next five years because Nathan McKinnon is a problem, and so are everybody else on that team, unlike the Edmonton Oilers who have McDavid and Dreisaitl and pretty much nothing else. Um, but the one question I do have about the Colorado Avalanche is in net because the Coyotes probably didn't test Grubauer a ton. If they bow out of the playoffs at some point this year and – decide that they need to upgrade in net and they are going to, they're going to have the cap space to do it. Corey Crawford would probably fit exactly what they need. So that that's one, I feel like potential destination if Corey decides not to come back to Chicago, but we'll, we'll discuss that later. We're going to take a quick timeout right now though. And when we come back on the other side of it, we're probably going to talk about the series some more, maybe take a little bit of a glance toward the future and then just kind of wrap up everything with the 2019-2020 uh, Chicago Blackhawks season. So come on back for that on the other side of this break. Welcome back to Musings on Madison. And before we go any further, I have to fact check myself because we're all about factual accuracy here at secondcityhockey.com. 
Uh, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves are 32 years old, and Duncan Keith is 37, 38. What I whatever I said was wrong. <laughs> Taves is 32, Kane is 31, Keith is 37. Thank yeah. you. I was going to say Kane is younger. What, what he said, I there I knew they were around my age, so but. I was looking at the hockey reference page. It says they're 31, but I guess that's what they are at the start of the season. I apologize. I will tell you I would, I'd like to think I'll do better next time, but I may not. Sorry in advance. Anyway, back to hockey things. So as we were discussing during the little break there, it didn't feel like the Black, – it felt like the Blackhawks got a huge, huge, huge break this summer by – the NHL expanding the return to play format to 24 teams, squeaking the Hawks into the picture. If you think those two things are related, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong because I could probably see that as well. But who cares? It's a weird year. I'm fine with it. But the point here is that the Blackhawks got this opportunity to be included into the return to play format. They got into the qualifying round and then they beat the Edmonton Oilers, which while I think the three of us looked at that matchup and said that, that, that's a winnable series. Like the Hawks can do that. The fact that they actually pulled it off suggests that maybe there is some, that that's a very positive thing for the team to build on. They go into a series with Vegas. Yeah. They lose in five games may have been closer than some of us expected to be at times. At other times, Vegas very much looked like the one seed and the Blackhawks very much looked like an eight seed, but the gap between those two teams is not so big that it's not something the Hawks can close in a, couple of seasons and maybe get themselves back into contention. The whole point I'm trying to make here is that it feels like the Blackhawks did actually take a step forward by the end of the season because the last two seasons were just so disastrous. Like the first season where uh, I think that would have been the 17-18 season where Corey Crawford was hurt and the goaltending situation was a nightmare. Then you had the 18 and 19 season where the goaltending got better, but the defense was so porous it didn't make a difference. Uh, didn't make a difference, and the penalty kill was historically terrible, and that pretty much tanked that whole season. They didn't seem to get better during the regular season this year, but they got a huge break. They got into the playoffs. They won a series. Some of their younger players got exposed to what it is like to play in the Stanley Cup playoffs and what it takes to win games in the playoffs. So. It feels like it's something the Blackhawks can build on, and it feels like for the first time in probably three years, you have more of a tangible, concrete thing to build on than just saying, well, hopefully next year these guys get better. Brandon Shepard, do you guys feel that? Like, Do you feel – I guess the overall question I have for you is do you feel better about the Blackhawks right now than you did at the end of the prior two seasons? Brandon Shepard, either one of you guys want to take that. I still think that they're just – throwing puzzles together and to get, hoping that they fit. And there's no, like, concrete plan in place. It's like you, you have the directions to do it. Just follow them the correct way, and maybe you'll get it right. Are there, like, specific players you have in mind with that thought, Brandon? No, and neither does the team. <laughs> I'm going to take a stab here and guess that what you're saying – what this is tangently related to is that the Blackhawks continue to play this man-to-man style defense mm-hmm. without getting players that have the speed and the agility to play it. Mm-hmm. Is <laughs> I like how you're doing that all under your breath. And that's where my hesitancy about Calvin DeHaan, I know he's supposed to be Nick Yalmerson reincarnated, 
I don't think that's the case. I think Connor Murphy is that guy. And because Jalmerson could skate enough. He wasn't going to burn anybody in a race around the rink, but he could skate himself. He could skate enough to get himself out of trouble. Calvin Nahan looks a little bit obelisk-esque to me. That's kind of redundant when I say it like that. But he, he doesn't move as well as you would like your defenseman to do in today's NHL. Connor Murphy does all that shot blocking defensive stuff and still can skate a little bit. He can do thin moves in the middle of the offensive zone to set up awesome scoring chances as we saw last night. So that's where I still like you, Brandon, I still have some questions about what they're going to do with the blue line because all these defensemen, the young prospects that are coming in, the the Carlson's and the Mitchell's and the Boquist, they all can skate. And it seems like the overwhelming majority of the veterans they have aren't the best skaters. Mata doesn't skate all that well, although I guess he showed it at times. Slater Cuckoo actually showed some wheels, but DeHaan doesn't move very well. Seabrook definitely doesn't move very well. So it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of mesh those two different styles together into six defensemen next season. Shepard Price, what about you? Yeah, it depends on the offseason. It depends on what they do this offseason. They have a lot of questions ahead of them, um, and they got to sort of – if they make the right ones, then I feel good about them building off this postseason. If they make the wrong ones, then it's the same old story for the last two years. I feel like they can improve to being a, like, seven or eight seed in the playoffs, but they can 100% fall back. Oh, yeah. I, oh, yeah, absolutely. This, this could I, all, I would this start, could all I would start like, like – Goes uh, 90 to zero in a heartbeat next season. Yeah, I would start looking at who the – I would start looking at who the lottery players are for next season, just in case. Just like be, be somewhat familiar with them. <laughs> well, I don't even start looking at like draft picks until the season ends anyway. Like I have done, all I know is Alexis Lafreniere is the number one overall pick this year. Outside of that, I don't know anything about anybody from two to 200. So I, we, we can worry about that, I guess, starting now. But if- I think my thing is that there's – all of these moves that are made by the Blackhawks to just plug in place and just pray and hope that it brings back some stability. That's why the team is so good at bringing in these European free agents because they signed all these guys to long-term contracts and now they're stuck in this hole where they have to have this production to keep the team relevant and these guys are doing it then do it because it's making up for other shortcomings where it's oh we can't develop a defenseman to save our life we don't have players that can be tough to play against not saying that they're gonna like be running around the rink hitting people like idiots but you don't have top end forwards that you've drafted and developed because that isn't a thing that's been done Philip Deneau developed after he left he completed that element of his so it's like you have these guys and you need to develop and give them time to develop in the AHL and they're fast tracking these guys and maybe as you mentioned earlier Dave like it's going to stunt their development and damage their confidence like it seemed like it did with Boquist during this series where it's like maybe he shouldn't be there yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm. So you can like grow through the growing pains, but 
when you go through the growing pains that dramatically on that big of a stage, it's going to impact the kids. Yeah. Adam Boquist is my number one. I don't want to say concern because that makes it sound like I think he's going to suck, but I, I will be, that's the number one player I will be watching next season to see how he re reacts and comes back from what was a not great end to his rookie season. I mean, and we'll find out a lot about him. I mean, maybe he's already forgotten about it and he's already moved on to next season. I, in an ideal world, that's what you want. You want a guy with a short memory that can take those mistakes, put them in his rearview mirror and continue moving forward. But uh, you were talking about like drafting, developing players, Brandon. Uh, I still think the last defenseman that the Blackhawks drafted and developed and turned into a legitimate top four guy was Nicholas Shalmerson. And he hasn't even been on this team for three years now. So. Yeah. I, I don't think they can take credit for Steven Johns. Yeah. No. yeah. Cause he isn't like that guy's just had such a rough go of it with his yeah. career mm-hmm. where it like, just as it's about to get started injuries and yeah. stuff so, comes back to him. So, and it, I think that the, like, yeah, like they have a lot of defensemen in the prospect pool, but they're all 5'11", 176 pounds. And that's fine if you're a Cal McCard. I mean, Alex Vlasic, Alex Vlasic isn't 5'11", 674 pounds. Yeah, he is. He's two of them. He ate one of them. <laughs> yeah, but he's <laughs> also 6'4", he's 175 pounds. Right. <laughs> but it's like there's so many of them, and they're not all going to hit. So it's like right. it's fine if you have them, and they're all like, those elite elite defensemen, but they're, they're not, I mean, they can hopefully, you know, improve their game and get close to that level. But none of them are the McCarr and Quinn Hughes type guys. Yeah. Like they're not franchise altering talents. They, they could be very good role pieces. And I mean, if, if three or four of them work out and then you like factor in, Connor Murphy and hopefully Duncan Keith still plays at a decent level and maybe Mata and or Cuckoo are still around. Like mm-hmm. you can have six, you get three average to above average D pairings and that might be enough to win you a Stanley cup. I mean, the Pittsburgh decor that they won with a few years ago had little to nothing on it and they still won the cup. I mean, St. Louis, they had some pretty good players. I don't think anybody's putting Alex Petrangelo or Colton Pareko in the Hall of Fame, and they won a cup with those guys as probably as their top two defensive contributors. So, like, you don't need – you may not need a 2011 – or, excuse me, a 2010 Duncan Keep to win the cup on your blue line, but you need you need better than the the 2020 version of Duncan Keith we saw at times, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I think the big the biggest thing – that I keep coming back to with this team. And this has been on my mind for like three to four years now, basically ever since they fired Quinville and they didn't like commit to a full rebuild. So what it seems like they've been trying to do is bring in all this new talent, mesh it with the five or six guys they still have left from the, the original quote core and put it all together and hope it turns into a championship quality team. But as we were talking about before, Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane are on the wrong side of 30. Duncan Keith is closing in on 40. Corey Crawford's 35 and may not even be back with the team next season. So at some point, those guys are going to regress. So 
you either need the young guys to develop so fast that they can pick up the slack or you need them to develop before that regression happens. And while we've seen improvements out of guys like Doc and Debrinkit, and I guess we can't really put Boquist in there yet. You know, you added Kubalik, which helps. But they're still not enough from the, the, old, the new guard to make up for what to, – to bring the old guard into contention for a Stanley Cup. And if they don't figure that out within the next season or two, that regre- I feel like that regression's coming pretty soon here, and then you're going to have a whole other list of problems because Taves and Kane are going to be eating up a quarter of your salary cap and not being able to produce at the level they were four or five years ago. So it's like you, you don't want to rush the guys along like you were talking about, Brandon, but they also don't have a ton of time to get those guys to be the talents that they're supposed to. So – I don't know how you put that all together. And, and the other question here, and Shepard, I know you were going to share the same uh, hesitance with me, is I'm still not convinced Jeremy Colleton is the guy to do all that. Because oh, you, no. You, <laughs> sorry. He's not. He's, he's I, I'm trying to not. be more diplomatic about it. Like, I still – there might I, – I don't want to say Colleton's a – I'm not going to say he's like a – they need to fire him now. If they did, I wouldn't be entirely surprised or opposed to it. Nope. But – he has – I have just as many questions about him as I do about 75% of the Blackhawks players. So, And this summer, there, there's the best head coaching availability and the best head coaching talent out there that is freely available than there, than there has been in years. Oh, Gerard Gallant? Is that who Gallant, Boudreaux. Oh, you, you can – no, you, get, keep Bruce Boudreaux as far from this franchise as possible. I think you could poach, I think you could poach Rocky Thompson from San Jose. Oh, I know you're um, a Rocky Thompson guy. Uh, Manny Malhotra is a, a, a quickly rising talent. So there, there's there's options out there if the Blackhawks decide to go another route because, you know, it was never going to be easy for Colleton. He's replacing a Hall of Fame coach, but if he's not going to be up to the task, I feel like the Blackhawks need to admit that mistake and move on, just like they need to do with Alex Nylander if he's not going to be the guy they want. Admit the mistake and move on because you don't have time to fuck around anymore. You need to figure this out. I'd say by what, like 20, next 2023, 2024, like, Stephen Kane can't do this forever. Yeah, and, and Duncan Keith, I think, win or lose, maybe is done next year. We'll, we'll talk about this in, later. Like, it, you, could, you might be able to talk me into a Duncan Keith trade this offseason pretty easily. A lot easier than I would have been at any other point. But that's going to be a conversation for another podcast. Any other final thoughts, gentlemen? Don't buy out Oli Mata. They need him. Need, need he he. The Blackhawks need only I, I will I will make this case. He was their most valuable defenseman in the postseason. He and Slater Cuckoo were a perfectly fine third pairing. Does he make a million dollars too much? Yeah. Is that Stan Bowman's fault? No, because that's a, that's a, that's a contract he signed in Pittsburgh. He's a perfectly fine third pairing defenseman. The Blackhawks uh, need a guy who's a third a fine third pairing defenseman. Yeah, they that's do. They need they need above they need above average defensive uh, talent, and that's what he is. Well, we're we're gonna have an Olimata podcast, and we will just yell at each other for half an hour, and Brandon will sit in the background and laugh at us both. Yeah, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. And God damn it, laid it up for him, Brandon. What are your final thoughts? We're recording this on August nineteenth, and the NHL draft is tentatively set for October 9th and tenth. So. 
we've got some time in between to talk about all these off-season questions that probably won't get answered in that time because the team went dark during the pause, so they'll probably do the same during this period as well. And I just want to know who the hell the president is going to be. It's going to oh, be the, you. Not of the U.S., but of the team. That's right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Of, of no, the black. No. That is an entirely different podcast that I don't even want to. I'm yeah, not, we will not be doing that podcast. Yeah, Do not worry. God. Yeah, I got into sports writing specifically, so I did not have to write about politics. <laughs> and I have never been happier about that decision than I have this year. And the last four years, really. That's just like a – because I feel like once that decision is made of who that will be, then hopefully there will be some dominoes that will fall. We'll see what direction this organization will take on multiple levels and facets of it. So Yeah. Run Hexel's a master uh, rebuilder, so I, I, trust, I trust the system. I'm, I'm also interested to see what comes out of – Brandon, I assume they're still going to do, like, the end-of-season press conferences and all that. I don't know if all the players are going to talk, but Bowman will talk, right? I would – yeah, I would think so. I was told in the coming days, which yeah. means next week. Yeah, I, I'm interested to see what Stan Bowman says. They're back in Chicago now. Yeah, I imagine he'll say something along the lines of, we took a step forward, so I imagine they're going to continue trying and, you know, maybe get into the second round of the playoffs next year. So I, I don't imagine they're going to say, all right, now we're doing a rebuild. Like, I feel like if they were – if actually, actually, this is a quick aside. I had talked myself into it that if the Hawks had lost to the Oilers and got the number one pick – in the draft lottery, I was ready for a full rebuild. Like, I was ready to blow the whole thing up. Trade Taves, trade Kane, trade Keith, fire Carlton if you want. Maybe even trade Saad because he's, like, in the mid-late 20s. I would have been – if they had lost to the Oilers and got that number one pick, I'd have been ready to blow the whole thing up. But they didn't, so we don't have to talk about that. But I think that's going to do it for this episode of Musings on Madison. Before we step away here, I want to give a very sincere thank you to everybody that has listened to this podcast or visited our website, or followed us and interacted with us on Twitter. It's been an absolute blast to do this all season long, and it was a much welcome distraction during the four months of no hockey and the quarantine pandemic situation that was going on, not only in our country, but over the whole world. So thank you so, so much to everyone who listened to this, but especially for the podcast, because this is something I've wanted to do for several seasons now, and we finally got we finally got it going consistently this season and thank you, Brandon. And thank you, Shepard for willingly joining us for our late night recordings to do this because uh, I had a blast doing this and we're going to do plenty more in the off season and then hopefully into the next season and in the future and all that. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you all very, very much. I really appreciate anybody that listens to this episode, all three or four of you listeners out there. So that'll do it for this. I think it's like maybe it's, it's more than three or four. It's more than three or four. It's like I, I hope so. I don't look. I try, to, <laughs> I try to look at the numbers because I don't, we're not doing three. this for the numbers. We're doing this because we enjoy it. Um, so, yes, thank you very much for listening to this episode and all the episodes. Stay tuned to secondcityhockey.com. We'll have a ton of season recap and kind of start looking towards the future in the, next coming, in the upcoming days, weeks, and months. We'll probably do some draft preview at some point because, as Brandon said, that's going to be – couple months away it's really weird that the stanley cup playoffs are still going and there's like football starting and the nba playoffs are still i don't know what the hell's going on it's a very strange time i, I don't think anyone will disagree with that just just staying around we're gonna have plenty more stuff coming your way uh so keep an eye on our website keep it on twitter 
keep an eye on these airwaves because we'll be coming back with more episodes. For Brandon, for Shepard, I'm Dave. It was a lot of fun. Looking forward to more of it in the future. And as always, go Hawks. Da, 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 da.